Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The HHW LOD Podcast Network proudly presents Real Heroes, the podcast that takes a critical look at comic book movies. The good. I am Iron Man. The bad. I punish the guilty. And the worthless. I am the law! I'm Tony Stark. I build neat stuff. I got a great girl. And occasionally, save the world. So why can't I sleep? You elected me on a single platform. I will defend this country at all costs. The Mandarin must be stopped. You don't know who I am. You'll never see me coming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Heroes Podcast. This is our Iron Man 3 episode. That's right. It's a new release podcast. This is the first time we've done this on Real Heroes. If uh, if you're new to the show, because we have just relaunched the feeds for the entire HHW LOD Podcast Network, Real Heroes is a show where we talk about the good, the bad, and the worthless of comic book-related movies. And... Most of the time what we focus on is we spin a magic wheel. It tells us which movie we're going to cover. And it's usually something that's at least uh, three or four years old. Uh, we haven't really done anything modern. I think the, the most recent thing on the list is probably X-Men Origins Wolverine, which we did uh, a couple episodes ago. For the most part, it's, it's the older stuff. Um, but we figured since uh, the podcast is relatively new and the summer movie season is upon us and it is... Uh, a geek world these days so we thought we'll just keep up with it on this feed um prior the way we've done this is half hour wasted will usually cover it and they, they probably still will um and the previous legion of dudes which we have renamed the long box of doom which an episode will be coming up shortly uh we used to cover that on that but i think we're changing up the the script a little bit and we're gonna we're gonna make that show focus on uh, comics as opposed to movies and tv and everything else um, so along with this whole change up to the HHW LOD podcast network, there's going to be some new shows, some changes to existing shows. Uh, so head on over to HHWLOD.com, the newly updated website for all of the subscribe links, or you can check it out on iTunes. Uh, if you just uh, search in iTunes for HHW LOD 
uh, or HHWLOD podcast, you, you will probably find what we call the Master Feed, which has all of the shows that we have on the network, uh, including this show, Real Heroes, uh, Half Hour Wasted. It'll have Long Box of Doom. It'll have the Out Now podcast with Aaron and Abe, the Walking Dead TV podcast, the Shield podcast, lots of great stuff um, on the Master Feed of the network. Um, or you can just subscribe to each show individually. So without further ado, I think I've blabbered enough. Uh, Join with me tonight are Mr. Johnny M., Jim Dietz, and Jordan from Jersey. Hello, guys. Hey. Brand new show, same as the old show. I feel totally rebooted. Do I have to have, like, big shoulder pads now and uh, like maybe a cybernetic eye now or something? Has my, has my origin story been changed in any way? Well, we've, we've actually brought forward the younger Jim Dietz from the past into the future because you turned out you were evil. You have to wear Aldrich Killian 1999 makeup. Oh, I, at least I don't have to do my hair like Favreau in that flashback scene. <laughs> Guy Pierce is Guy Pierce is obviously under some kind of contractual obligation to have terrible makeup every movie he's in. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what we'll do we'll we'll kind of format this like a traditional uh, Real Heroes episode as much as possible. Uh, since Iron Man 3 just released this past weekend, we do have some preliminary uh, box office numbers. So we'll talk a little bit uh, about budget and numbers and, and things like that. Um, so first, it released in the U.S. on May 3rd, as most of you know. I guess it overseas it, it launched, what, like April 17th, I think? Is, no, it was one it? week before. It was uh, April 20th. So April 26th. 26th. Gotcha. Yeah. And the Paris Which is kind uh, of... premiere was April 14th. But it was the same strategy they did with Avengers as well, if you recall. It opened a week before. A week before it opened in America, it opened in the U.K. So, Yeah, and a lot of these overseas markets. And I guess some of that is to help stem the tide of the piracy. So they figure, you know, if they open it overseas before the, you know, the United States gets it, maybe that, that kind of um, helps undercut some of that because they know, you know, us crazy Americans will we'll pretty much go see it regardless. Um, I, I didn't really hear, and I don't know, maybe you guys heard different, um, you know, like when Wolf, the, when X-Men Origins Wolverine came out and, you know, some of these other movies, I think even like Hunger Games, we heard a lot about internet piracy and it available on the torrent sites and stuff. And I, I'm sure Iron Man 3 was because it was released, you know, somewhere first. Um, but I didn't really hear a lot of hubbub and a lot of buzz and a lot of, um, you know, studios, you know, throwing up their arms and, and waving around like maniacs. Um, well, I think if you look at the box office numbers like we will pretty shortly, they're probably too busy throwing their arms up in the air celebrating uh, to be really, you know, really intent on the piracy aspect right now because it has made a boatload of cash in just, you know, the week it's been open. Yeah, for for sure. So we'll talk about the budget. Uh, uh, Box Office Mojo has the budget listed at two hundred million. I think that's that's probably pretty much in line with with the way these movies are going uh, lately, especially something with a proven track record. I think Avengers was about that. Uh, the the hype machine and the marketing was probably at least a hundred to hundred and twenty five million, if I had to guess, because they'd just been promoting this thing like no tomorrow. Um, and it looks like it's paid off because. Um, the estimates from Box Office Mojo for the f- opening weekend, and this is su- we're recording this Sunday of opening weekend, um, is 175 million, which is insane. I mean, it's second only uh, as far as opening weekends go, um, only to the Avengers, which uh, you know again the other Marvel movie that launched last year. So it it um, 
knocked over the, the the previous record holder, which I think was the last Harry Potter movie. Um, and it's just it's just going like gangbusters overseas. It's it's just crazy as well. Uh, Five hundred and four million so far overseas. So the grand total um, after basically ten days of release, you know, wide release uh, worldwide is six hundred and eighty million dollars, which is is pretty insane. Yeah, it's funny when you think back to the release of the original Iron Man. You know, sort of behold, uh, <clears throat> sort of before the whole Marvel movie universe was really in in full swing. Um, you know, people questioned if Iron Man was a big enough name or property to carry a movie franchise. And uh, here we are for the third installment of the trilogy, and it opens with these kind of numbers so it's certainly come a long way and the character is now everywhere i mean he was considered a b-lister when the first movie came out not any longer yeah i remember that a lot of people weren't sure if the character was would be well known enough or you know had enough cachet i mean iron man really wasn't at that point you know as big a name as superman or batman or something so i remember that there was a lot there was some doubt as to whether you know the character would click with audiences but obviously uh, not a problem (laughs) And not only the character, but also Robert Downey Jr. was uh, not in the best place previous to the you know the release of the first Iron Man movie, so there was some worry about him as well. And I think, I mean, ultimately, I think history will show that he's pretty much the reason, at least in my opinion, that that uh, at least these Iron the Iron Man franchise and I think the Avengers had the pull it did. I think his charisma and what he brings to that role has a lot to do with the success of this franchise. Um, it'll be interesting because we all know at some point uh, he is not going to gonna continue on playing Tony Stark or Iron Man. Um, it could be 10 years from now. It could be five years from now. It could be um, as of this movie. But it'll be really interesting to see you know, what kind of an impact his absence will have on, on this Marvel franchise, uh, you know, if any. Well, I mean, I, you say absence, but then at the very end, I mean... The credits that said Tony Stark will return. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel pretty strongly. I mean, we'll, and we'll get into this later, obviously. But I feel pretty strongly he'll be in the second Avengers movie because if nothing else, I think they'll give him either a back end deal like they did for the first one, or they'll just back a truck up to his house with a boatload of cash, or you know whatever. But I, I'm I'm curious if if beyond that he he retains any, um, you know, real presence, you know in this universe. Uh, talking a little bit about, about how it's being viewed critically, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes has it now at 79%, which is second as far as Rotten Tomato review scores of the three. So Iron Man had like a 93% rating, Iron Man 2 had a 73% rating, and Iron Man 3 has a 79%. So not bad, um, but but definitely not not near the the critical praise that I, that the first Iron Man was. As, as, when we get into the specifics, I guess we will uh, we will give our collective and individual opinions as to uh, as to what we felt about about this movie. Talking about the cast and crew, obviously uh, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I, I think uh, you know little needs to be said at this point about uh, about Robert Downey Jr. and his portrayal of Tony Stark. I thought this performance was. And I know we'll talk about this when we get into the meat of the movie a little more, but because the story was more about Tony Stark's character, than it was more about the man than the iron, 
You know what I mean? It was more about the... Was, I thought this yeah. one was a lot more character-driven in a lot of ways. Like, one of the major arcs was him trying to deal with his PTSD from New York and, the, you know, the, the, how, how frightened he is of losing Pepper and everything. So I thought he really... I mean, not. I mean, we all know he has the acting chops, and we all know he's... I mean, like, in the last... In Iron Man 2 and Iron Man Avengers, he's kind of the amiable smartass. He was always on top of everything. Here, he's a lot more vulnerable. He's a lot more exposed. And I thought it was a really good, uh, you know, showing of... Of, of Downey's uh, acting chops in this, really, uh, that he was able to bring out those facets of the character and not, like, you know, go against what we've seen before. And, of course, returning as Pepper Potts is Gwyneth Paltrow, who I think um, had, a, had a decent bit in the beginning, um, had a pretty strong role at the end of the movie, and I think it was something that maybe folks have been wanting to see out of her is her to take a, a little bit more of a front and center you know grab the the action bull by the horns kind of thing and i think it worked overall it worked pretty well but i think it's just the stuff in the middle that we really missed of of you know gwyneth paltrow as that character uh, being in the movie so um but again more, more of the same you know at from the pepper Potts character that we've seen previously it was pretty cool to see her in that armor though yeah, and that, yeah. That, that scene that was great, and I thought the scene where um, she's wearing the helmet and she's getting or listening to the phone call from Tony, uh, I thought that was kind of I was really well done considering it was you know just her with a blue screen with uh, you know computer graphics you know superimposed on her. I thought that was a really cool scene with her. Returning for his second appearance as Colonel James Rode is Don Cheadle, and I, I was really happy that we got more Don Cheadle. I was really happy that we got more, uh, you know. Rhodey, I, I like that. Uh, I, I like what they did with the whole Iron Patriot thing. I thought that was a really cool uh, change to the character and to the armor. Um, you know, definitely made it more colorful. They kind of used it as a bit of a plot device throughout the movie, but but I, I just I really think the buddy cop aspect of of Rhodes and Stark was one of the things in the movie that I thought worked really, really well. I thought the way they worked in the Iron Patriot rather than War Machine made perfect sense. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't have a, a focal point or a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a face of the United States government being named War Machine, even though they said it was a lot cooler. Tony mentions that a couple of times. Uh, Iron Patriot does definitely make more sense. Yeah. Shane Black has a real knack for the buddy comedies. I mean, obviously going back to, you know, the original Lethal Weapon script that he wrote that was like the archetype for a lot of, you know, 80s action comedy movies, um, you know, Last Boy Scout, uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. The dialogue really comes through well, especially uh, in the scenes between, I think, Cheadle and Downey Jr. I really, I, I believe the buddy, you know, aspect of that that uh, that meeting, especially at the end where they have to, you know, the, the for the big climax. Uh, yeah, and he pulls it off with Happy and Tony as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and those scenes really help cement my thoughts that, you know, if they ever do need to replace Robert Downey Jr., which, of course, they will at some point, Cheadle might not be a bad choice to actually have him take up the Iron Man mantle, uh, you know, much the same way that it happened in the comics. Um, and I think he could probably lead a movie as Iron Man. I think it would work just fine. You could even have RDJ in the background as, uh, you know, in a few scenes without having to pay him for the whole thing if he doesn't want to put that much of a time commitment in there. I think it could work. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd love to see him do that. That'd be great. So next we have Guy Pierce as Aldrich Killian. And uh, as John said, it seems like lately he can't do a movie without bad uh, prosthesis, makeup, uh, you know, some sort of uh, over-the-top 
appearance that he has. But uh, but I I, th- I thought him his character worked well. I liked him, you know, as the villain. I I liked for the most part. I liked the kind of revenge aspect. The the fact that he was kind of this um you know this discard from Tony and that Tony didn't really give him much attention or pay him much you know pay him any never mind and you know he he used that to his advantage and then and then they worked you know he was the tool that they used to work in both AIM and the Roxxon Corporation which I thought was a really really cool nod to uh, you know comic geeks I mean AIM obviously in this context is very different from the AIM that we're used to in the in the comics we didn't see any bucket heads which that would have been funny I would have thought even if they just showed him in the background or something um, and then, of course, the Roxxon Corporation I thought was really cool. So, um, you know, I think he did um, he did his job. I, I, again, very different uh, portrayal of Killian in the in the movie versus the comic uh, that this is based on the Extremis story. Well, actually, if you think about it, it's kind of a combination of Extremis and Five Nightmares. Um, you know, with the exploding people or whatnot. Um, I, I liked Pierce yeah. as Killian, and uh, I thought it was cool that. It's kind of a throwback to the first movie where you think about where Tony Stark is like using, wants to use the Iron Man armor to like take his weapons out of the hands of terrorists and stuff, where he's trying to make up for his past mistakes. I mean, here's a you know a past mistake that that Tony made, you know, between him and uh, you know and uh, Maya Hansen, you know, just kind of casting them off, and you know here it's coming back to roost. Uh, and I thought that was, that was a cool uh, way for him to come in, especially. And I really love the opening scene with the flashback from 1999. That was so funny, especially Favreau's, uh, you know, John Travolta Pulp Fiction hair. That was just hilarious. <laughs> so as Jim mentioned, uh, the the aforementioned Maya Hansen is played by Rebecca Hall, who most people I think know her from uh, the Ben Affleck movie The Town. Um, she kind of played the love interest slash. Uh, victim in the town and uh, I, she didn't have a huge role in in this I mean I think she had a pivotal role and she played a part in the beginning and then uh, you know in the end and of course you know her character had the big twist that you know she was really in on the in on the the game the whole time um, but I thought she she did fine I think she's she's a good actress I think she's kind of an up-and-comer I think we're going to see a lot more of her I think her um, her IMDB page is going to be filling up quickly uh, in the near future and John Favreau Big again. Yeah. I get what they did with his character, but I was really disappointed that we didn't get more Happy Hogan. I mean, we pretty much got him in the beginning, and he he got to play a really, you know, cool role as, you know, kind of the investigator. And, you know, he works best when he's kind of this over-the-top, almost bumbling uh, kind of guy and, and just, you know, rattling off these crazy, you know, it just kind of rattles things off. Um, but I was, that was to me one of the really disappointing things was that we just didn't get more Happy Hogan. Well, this was probably the most he's been in any of the three, wasn't it? I mean, it's been a while since I've seen the first two, but I remember him only in a couple scenes in the second one. And the first one, I remember him giving him a hamburger. But not a whole much, but a whole lot other than maybe, that. Maybe because they sprinkled him in more, especially in the second one. You know, kind of he kind of had that bit in the beginning, and then he had a, a you know stuff to do in the middle, and then the end with him in um, Scarlett Johansson. You know, when they when they when they go after the facility to shut down the, you know the 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 armors that uh, that Vanko created. It just seemed like because they they used him in more separate scenes that he had more of a presence. But I, I agree. I mean, he did. Uh, that that first third of the movie, he you know he he was in, he did have quite a presence in, but I just I just felt like after that it was like boom he's gone and then he shows up very briefly at the end. So I, I, to me that was just a little disappointing. Hey, but at least we got some Downton Abbey jokes out of it. 
Yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin. And now, you know, again, this is an all-spoiler podcast um, talking about this movie. I kind of sort of saw this coming. When he showed up at that compound in the limo and got out and everything, I kind of thought he was a puppet at that point. But I did not, in general, I did not expect that to happen. I mean, they really, in the trailers and in the previews and everything, they really played up his character and how he's this, you know, terrorist. And I think that, you know, when you look back at Iron Man 1 and they go through the Ten Rings, they really played that up. Um, but I think he did great. I think he did great as both the Mandarin side of things and then when he was kind of playing the the stone drunk, uh, you know, actor that just didn't really know what was going on. I, I thought that those bits were pretty funny um, and, and came off well. I think Trevor was my favorite character in the entire movie. <laughs> Any problem that I have with uh, the twist itself has nothing to do with his performance. I mean, he was he was pretty awesome. And that's what, the kind of stuff we were hoping for when we saw that he was signed on. Um, it just didn't go the direction that I would have liked, but he was awesome. He didn't mail it in or tone it down or anything. He was Ben Kingsley. And the last, uh, well, I'll, I'll touch on two characters real quick. Um, James Badge Dale, who most people know, I think at this point from probably 24, uh, he, he played one of the, um, one of the characters under Kiefer Sutherland in 24. And funny enough, when rumor first came out of him being cast in the movie and they showed the Iron Patriot, there was a lot of buzz about him being in the Iron Patriot armor. They kind of quickly shot that down and said, no, it's going to be Rhodes. You know, he's the one that's going to be in the armor. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting that they, they, they beat that rumor down, but in fact, um, he the scenes in particular that we saw in the trailer with him in the armor and the early you know set photos that leaked out of of a person walking in the armor. It turns out it was James Badgetail's character uh, in the armor. So I, I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, I probably know him more from the uh, uh, the one season long AMC show, which names the, the name of which I'm forgetting. Rubicon. Yeah, Rubicon. Rubicon. Yeah. And he was in Band of Brothers as well, I believe. I mean, he's he's a very good actor. I don't know if I've ever seen him as a villain, though, before, and I thought he did a good job. Yeah, I think he, play, he played the part well. I mean, just kind of the, you know, lead henchman for the for the main bad guy, you know, is kind of his his role. Um, and then William Sadler is the president. I, th I thought, you know, he did fine. It, it just seems like William Sadler is one of those guys that always seems to play the president or, or, some, or somebody like that. Um, especially these days, not so much anymore. It just seemed like he used to play a bad guy all the time in the past. But, uh, um, but you know, I, I, it, given the role that it was, he, I think he did just fine. Well, that's the, that's kind of the problem I had with it, I guess, is they didn't flesh out his character at all. And, and mostly I, I think they got stretched out a little thin with playing up the Mandarin role before the twist that they didn't have enough time to really flesh out the extremist end of it. Yeah. You know, I would have liked to know like why he was the head guy or a little bit more of what his deal was, head henchman, I guess, if you will, or just more about the extremist, I don't know, the process or the origin or anything. Um, I, I thought that that got chintzed a little bit while they were making us believe that the Mandarin was the big deal. Um, and then uh, James, uh, Jim kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, this one, the reins of directing transferred from John Favreau to Shane Black. Honestly, I think, and, and dev we'll definitely get into this, but I think that's where the movie suffered, in my opinion. I think not having Favreau's touch on it uh, hurt it more than helped it. Um, and that, you know, that's just, that may be just me, but, uh, but at least initially that's how I feel about it. He's, he's more, I think, widely known as a writer. Um, and he's written, 
Uh, he wrote the first four, or the four. He's, he's credited as, as a writer on the first Lethal Weapon movie, and then I think as the, on the second, it's more just um, character and story that, that he created. So he's kind of, he has that under his belt. And, you know, I think the big one that got him in on this one is the movie he both wrote and directed, which is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which also starred Robert, Robert Downey Jr. And I know that, you know, a lot of it, a lot of that has been played up with, um, on this, I know they've even talked in the past at, at the last Comic Con panel. I think they even mentioned that when they would get stuck, him and Favreau would get stuck on the previous two Iron Man movies. They would call Shane up, and he would offer some some script advice or some dialogue advice to get them kind of over the hump. Um, but this one went from Favreau being in in the lead to Black being in the lead, and uh, as is only his second movie directing, uh, this is a pretty big undertaking for a second time director. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a pretty good movie, though. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. Yes, yes, it is. It is. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, me too. I thought it was really well done and stuff. And like I said, he, he wrote quite a few movies in the 80s after uh, Lethal Weapon. You know, some some successful, some not. But I, I, I didn't mind it. I mean, you're saying that you, know, you preferred Favreau. I kind of I kind of like this more character-centric look that you know he had to his direction than, than Favreau's. Um, even in the even in the climactic battle scene at the end with all the different suits of armor, um, you know there there are explosions and, and fight, you know, people exploding and, and armor you know, exploding all around. But you know he focuses the camera on you know Tony and Pepper and Don Cheadle. You know what I mean the camera fo- stays on them because that's where what's important. You know what I mean. And I'm not I'm not knocking Favreau at all. I, I like the way he did the first two movies and that's great and everything. But one of the things I really appreciate about this was that it was kind of a different approach. We've kind of gotten the the nuts and bolts, the ins and outs of the of the behind the scenes of the movie. Um, so I will hand it over to one of you guys to start off the discussion of the movie because I have yacked for quite a while at this point. It wasn't the movie I wanted to see. Should I be the killjoy and start off with that? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't think it was a bad movie. I don't think it was poorly directed. I totally respect the balls that it took to do the marketing uh bait and switch and you know and and pull that off i'm not even going to say attempt to pull it off because they did pull it off um but still not the movie i wanted to see i would rather have had the mandarin be the villain i didn't think they made me care enough about guy pierce's role to have that be such a big deal when it was revealed that he was actually behind the whole thing. I don't know. I, I totally get the character-centric stuff. Maybe it was just too different from the other two. And I really like the other two. They're probably two of my favorite of all the Marvel movies. Um, so it just it just wasn't what I wanted. You know, not saying that it's a bad movie. Just too different, I think, for me. That was my... I, I couldn't put my finger on it as I walked out. I knew there were parts that I liked, but... I thought a lot of the character stuff moved really slowly. I thought there was a really slow act. I guess maybe the middle section uh, for me was a bit slow. There wasn't nearly enough armor action until, of course, the last scene where they totally uh, got all the armor action in that we could ever handle in that period of time. I don't know. Again, I really would have liked... If they were going to waste the Mandarin and not really have him have any impact I would have rather of them used that time fleshing out the extremist storyline I think you and I are in similar boats on this one and I, I wouldn't even say it's not the movie 
that that I really wanted to see. I I, I just expected something different, and I and I think you know one of the things you said, John, was it it felt different from the other two. And I think when I when I kind of went on about Shane Black, I think that's that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, you know, on on previous podcasts when we've talked about. Iron Man or Iron Man 2, either on the, the commentary tracks or uh, when Iron Man 2 came out, the actual movie review, um, you know, one of the things that we mentioned or that I mentioned was, and I think we all kind of were on that boat, is Iron Man 2 felt like a logical extension of Iron Man 1. They felt very much like if you put them both together, it was one long movie or, you know, like a long TV miniseries or something like that. They flowed very well together. And I'm not sure if maybe it's just because the Avengers was sandwiched in on this one that when we pick up with Iron Man 3 that had that baggage that you had to deal with, but it just had a different feel to it. Like, Downey didn't feel like the Downey from, even from the Avengers and from from the other Iron Man movies. And and again, I'm not sure if that's because we're losing the influence of both Favreau and Whedon, um, that he didn't come across as, you know, cocky and, and, you know, I, I don't know, quite as, as free-spirited as, as he did in those other movies. I mean, he had his moments for sure, but some of it seemed a little forced. Um, I didn't really buy the whole panic attack thing. Not not so much his portrayal of, of the actual event. You know, I mean, it it felt to me like he did a good job portraying an actual panic attack. It just seemed like the triggers behind it were a little forced, like it didn't seem like a natural, maybe the first time it happened, it seemed, you know, a little natural, but after that, it just seemed a little forced and a little too much. And I, I just, I didn't really buy it, buy it that much. And again, you know, based on the trailers, which they really remember when the first trailers came out and we were like, Holy crap, this is dark Knight rises the iron man version you know, dark and the Mandarin's going to break him down. And, and I just envisioned when they talked about Tony Stark spiraling downward, you know, you may be thinking that he starts drinking, as we know, as a part of Tony's past. And they kind of showed a little bit of it in Iron Man 2 and made you think that it might be part of the storylines in the future. Um, you know, a, a darker way down the path, I guess, was what I was looking for. Or I don't know if I was hoping for that, but maybe what I was expecting. And this was just different, like jumping in and out of the panic attacks, which, again, might be an accurate portrayal of how they work. It just didn't work for me on screen. Like one second he's having a panic attack, then he's joking about it with the kid. And don't wait till we get to the kid. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I didn't like the kid at all. Well, like I wrote in my review of the on, on the website, that was like the one part of the movie that I just would have totally gotten rid of and not needed and, and hated was the whole thing with the kid. The whole, it was the like whole all there the so kid. they could... It was like friggin' E.T. Yeah, you know? it was to it was to product place Ver- Verizon Fios, basically, is why the kid existed. <laughs> well, I feel like this is a good place for me to jump in then. Uh, so a little, you know, just a tiny bit of background. Um, I'm not a big Iron Man guy. I like the Iron Man movies, and I like RDJ as Tony, but I'm not, I don't read any Iron Man comics, that kind of thing, just not my character. Um, I'm not a fan of Christmas uh, in general, and particularly Christmas movies, and I really dislike children, whereas all three of you have kids. Um, so <laughs> I, I feel like that's a, a weird place to start, but it's kind of important background to say that I really liked this movie, and probably better than one and two. I mean, it's still kind of early, and I haven't seen them in a while, so I should go back before I really make that determination, but this was a 
Christmas movie starring Iron Man that features a kid as the secondary main character for all of the second act, and I really liked it. So that says a lot for me. Um, I mean, that that's just one thing. But I was also, I, I went to see this with my sister, and she has had a history of panic attacks over the last couple of years, and I've I've had one, um, thankfully no others, and hopefully none ever again in the rest of my life because it was not a pleasant experience. But we both agreed that that felt perfect in terms of its portrayal, how it started, how they ended. Um, it just really captured what it feels like to have a panic attack where you sometimes you know why it's happening, but other times you just don't, and it happens, and it's terrifying, and then it's either lasts for a really long time or it's just over. And, I mean, I guess if you've never had one, that could be kind of, I don't want to say a hard pill to swallow, but just it could seem like it's coming out of nowhere. I totally get that. But at least for us, it felt right, particularly after what he went through in Avengers. And and as a follow-up to the the one comment, I know I'm throwing a lot in here, but the one comment of how Iron Man 2, Iron Man 1 and 2 kind of felt like a singular story, I would kind of say that to Avengers and Iron Man 3, but a singular story, at least from Tony's point of view, in that everything he went through there really informed, more than the first two movies, what happened in here. And so it felt almost like if you wanted to take Iron Man 1 and 2 as chapter 1 of the Tony Stark story, this is chapter 2, these two movies together. I kind of, I kind of agree with that, too. I felt like it was a, a very um, organic extension from what the end of Avengers um, I, I really like the fact that they focus more on Tony Stark, the person, you know, Tony Stark as a character rather, I mean, I, and granted, I love the, I, I love the stuff in the suit. Don't get me wrong. The action sequences, you know, with the airplane, um, the finale, the, you know, the beach house being destroyed and everything. I really enjoyed those, but that they, they took a, you know, the time to, you know, really get into Tony Stark and what is, you know, what makes him tick, you know, in the interior, you know the character of Tony Stark rather than just the guy inside the suit. I mean, the whole scene where he, he takes like the, the, the kids toys or whatever and makes way and weaponizes them, you know, and breaks into the, the Mandarin's com, you know, compound. That's all about Stark. You know, that's not Iron Man at all. That's, that's Tony Stark. And I'd almost watch like a Tony Stark agent of shield movie, I think. <laughs> but, um, I really, I enjoyed this a lot. Um, um, I don't know if I, I have to go back and rewatch the other two, but, just off the top of my head, I think it is my favorite of the three. And, uh, you know, you make a really good point, Jordan. One and two definitely have a continuity to them. Um, and, and it's almost like Avengers and Iron Man 3 do as well, because one is definitely, you know, a major story arc in the other. I mean, he's definitely feeling the PTSD from his stress. And then after the events of Avengers, um, it, it definitely plays into this in a lot of ways. And I just, I really appreciate the fact that going forward here with their phase two, that Marvel isn't, you know, just cook a cut, uh, cookie cutter, you know, what they did with the first inside, you know, movie and, and just, you know, do it over again. They're willing to take a chance and do something a little more that dives a little more deeply into the character. And, and I thought that was interesting. And I think I liked it a little more than John and Russ. I'm probably more in Jordan's camp, which is odd because, you know, I'm, I'm an old man. I hate everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I, I also appreciated the focus more on Tony over the armor and and to the point where I'd even say I think my favorite armor of the movie and there were a ton of them was the one that's not given a number but I guess we could call Mark 43 or the uh the Assassin's Creed armor which is just stuff he got at Home Depot and threw together and really spots light spotlights um exactly what he said in Avengers where uh, when when Cap says, you know, what are you, you know, take, take, you're just a man in a suit, take the suit away, what are you? Well, he's a genius billionaire philanthropist playboy 
Uh, and I know I got this in the wrong order, but, you know, it's really his intellect and what he can do, whether it's in a cave in the Middle East or in Tennessee, what he can do with his brain and the stuff that lies around him is what really makes the character special. Right. It's, it's, his brain, exactly. His brain, I mean, at least in the RDJ version, I mean, that's what makes it special to me, too. His brain is, is his weapon. You know, it's not the armor. It's the brain that made the armor. You know, it's the guy piloting the suit. And I, I thought that was cool that they brought that home in this. Can I say something about Tennessee? Sure. Is it going to alienate all of our Tennessee listeners? No. Okay, then go ahead. <laughs> Worst and most forced Stan Lee cameo ever. <laughs> yeah. It totally did not fit. with. There had to be a better way to stick Stan Lee in a crowd of people and just show that he was there other than clip to the... Chattanooga Miss Chattanooga pageant that was happening in a building that Tony was walking by and show Stanley holding up a number 10 to a bikini yeah. <laughs> I mean it was setting up why all those television trucks were there but I, it, it was a little weird certainly I love the I love the Tony Stark fanboy with the tattoo yeah, yeah. That, that was a that was a funny scene yeah that's one of the other things, uh, you know, about this one with with this one that I didn't I didn't think this one was quite as kid friendly as the other ones. You know, one of the things about like Iron Man, Iron Iron Man Two, I think was even more friendly, I think, than than Iron Man One, um, and even the Avengers because it was more. I think the violence was more cartoony or implied than anything else. And this one, they I think they kind of pushed the pushed the envelope a little bit. Like if I. If I had a six, seven, eight-year-old kid, I wouldn't have any qualms at all with taking him to see really any of the other ones. Maybe the Hulk might be a little scary, but this one just seemed like it was darker in tone. There was, you know, they kind of amped up. There's a little bit more language, you know, not not ridiculous, but you know, a little bit more. Um, you know, there it just a lot of vi- you know, the the violence I think was amped up a little more too. You know, the babes everywhere, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I just and. I'm not trying to be prudish or anything like that, but I think one of the things that that Marvel's been doing is trying making making these movies appeal to a wider audience, and I think they kind of went the other way with this one. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just was just being a little sensitive to it, but I, I just kind of frame it in the context of usually when my nieces and my nephew come into town um, over the summer, you know, I'll take them to Avengers or I'll take them to you know to to see one of the Iron Man you know movies or or whatever. And this one, I think maybe you know, given their age range, might be even a little questionable as to whether or not you know their their mom and dad would would you know be okay with it. You always have that little line walk with Tony Stark, right? Because he's always got somebody in bed or stripper poles on his airplane. Right, you, you always have that element, and then in this one, I guess they threw in uh, the Stan Lee scene, and the the quote Mandarin had four or five in bed hanging around his lair. So I I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it might might have been a little more a little bit more adult than the other two. He kind of called the the kid, a, you know, told him don't be a don't be a pussy. I mean, it was just like yeah, I that's was like, true. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> that was actually funny, you know, in talking I, with my sister about that or about all the scenes with the kids or the kid 
there was a couple points where both of us were kind of like, wow, Tony, you're taking this really far and, you know, going above just being funny to be kind of being kind of a dick to this kid. But then every time we felt that way, it kind of turned back around and, you know, the kid was playing along, you know, and, and holding his own against Tony in the attitude department. And so it kind of worked for both of us, but it did. Yeah. And a couple points were like, whoa, I can't believe you just said that to a little kid. And the funny thing is after uh, emphasizing, you know, Howard Stark so much in Iron Man 2, that's like the only reference of him in this movie is, is yeah. him telling the kid not to be a pussy. I, I guess there's there's two other things that I have uh, that I, I guess are on the the negative side, and then maybe we'll maybe we'll switch to to positivity because it seems like we're being maybe a little more critical, or at least I am. You than, are. Than, yes, <laughs> then maybe maybe it warrants, but uh, um, it, it just it felt like there were too many twists. You know, it's like the twist with Maya Hansen, the twist with the Mandarin, the twist with the vice president. It's just like everything had, there was like this duplicity in so many different places that I thought it almost got to the point where you just expected something to, to be a twist. And, and I didn't think it was necessary. I, I, I think, you know, again, kind of to piggyback off what John said, I think they could have played the Mandarin straight, um, and it would have worked just fine. And I think, you know, maybe I'm just tied a little bit too much to the comics. You know, but it's just like they basically made a mockery out of the, you know, the Iron Man's most famous villain from the comics. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Have a Fu Manchu guy with ten magic rings? I mean, no, 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 no. No, I think they were doing it no. perfectly. The way yeah. they, <laughs> I think the way they had it was great. I, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't mind that twist at all. I mean, I thought it was fine. I did not see the thing with the Mandarin coming out whatsoever, especially after the way they'd hyped him up in the trailers, and you know, we'd seen you know the voiceover where they. Uh, you know, the first Iron Man 3 trailer where the voiceover with Ben Kingsley where they blow up Tony's house. I mean, I, I did not see that twist coming at all, and I thought it was kind of cool, actually, the, the way they uh, they did that. I, and I knew as soon as I saw that that a lot of people who were you know, Iron Man fans were going to immediately be pissed. It's not. I don't even care about the Mandarin as a character, to be honest with you. It just it made the movie goofy at that point. I mean, Trevor was a goofy character. It took away all the seriousness that it might have had up until that point. And the Maya Hansen thing, she she twisted and then she retwisted. We had yeah, just yeah. learned that she was on their side and she's telling him to stop torturing Tony like a second later. Yeah. So that... I I agree with Russell on that. I wasn't those two twists bothered me. I, I wasn't I was not happy. I liked Ben Kingsley badass Mandarin. I I was I was buying that. I don't know if I'd really count the vice president one as a twist though cuz I mean I don't think we saw him a single time before his quote unquote twist. I mean it was if if it was a twist it was one of everything you've seen in the last 10 seconds is wrong. And you if know? you if you dropped your keys the second that they showed his daughter's leg, you would have no freaking idea what was going on with <laughs> with that whole Storyline. Well, I mean, even if you didn't know about his daughter, you could just assume, hey, this is a crooked guy who wants to be president. Yeah, I mean, we saw him a couple times before, but but yeah, it it just and I guess one of the things I heard was that the original cut of this movie was like three hours and fifteen minutes, and so they basically cut out. Now, Black said the final cut was one fifty nine, but I think it was like two. I think it ended up being 2.20. I mean, at least by my count, the movie seemed like it had a running time of 2 hours and 20, 25 minutes. So there was, it seems like there was a significant amount cut 
you know, from an initial cut to a final cut. So I don't know if maybe we lost more of that character building, more of that explanation, um, you know, maybe more of the the specific extremist stuff. But I, I thought that was, I, I thought there could have been a little more of that. But again, the, the Mandarin stuff. The the one thing about it, it, it was funny. I mean, when when he did do the switch. And he, you know, we found out he was this actor and he was, you know, just wasted and stuff. It was funny. And I mean, I, th- I, it, it gave me a chuckle. And I think from a general audience perspective, I think, I think it's, I think it'll have wide appeal. And I think most people are on with it, but it just seemed like, like we said, I think it could have worked the other way as well. The, the other thing that really bothered me and I, I thought about this last night after, after I got home from, from watching it was, the whole deal with him having to constantly repower the suit, like to me, that didn't make a lot of sense because I thought the whole thing with him having the arc reactor in the chest was it was this almost limitless source of replenishing energy. And when he first built the first Iron Man suit, it was powered by the arc reactor in his chest that he put the armor on and that's what gave it the power. And for the suit to suddenly, now I can understand if it would need to recharge after energy expenditure from the from the arc reactor but it just seemed weird that he was constantly having to plug the damn thing in and have it to recharge it just like that seemed to discard what we know of how that technology works um previously because the whole point with arc reactor stuff is that you don't have to plug it in it is it is the source of energy not a not not a draw of energy although i mean with tony he's constantly reinventing his armor and how it works and this one in particular i mean it, i mean it's a classic Tony Stark and just movie in general trope, but it wasn't designed to be used yet. It was just a prototype that he just barely stuck together before everything went to hell. So, I mean, it might have eventually run directly off of the arc reactor, but maybe just at this point it didn't. I mean, I, I, I agree. It wasn't explained, but it didn't bother me in, in while in the theater. Yeah, because that suit of armor didn't, it wasn't fully weaponized or whatever. That was why it was only able to take out two of the helicopters, right? And it had to work on somewhat of its own power because it could, like, fly on its own and stuff when it wasn't attached to him. Right, but only after it was charged. I guess, it just to me, it just seemed weird that that it couldn't work with the thing that the armor was meant to work with from the get-go. Like, it just it just seemed odd that it constantly, they used that as kind of a plot devo- a device you know, for the armor. I mean, it just, like I said, it just kind of bothered me that, that it, it, that that was the case. Um, and maybe he didn't I mean, install the 220 plug yet. Yeah. I'm <laughs> something. I mean, in the big a giant of things, iPhone. Yeah. I mean, especially when they showed him on the boat and he literally had the thing plugged into a power supply up underneath the, you know, the, the armor. And I was, it just, like I said, it just kind of went against, in, to me, how arc technology works and how they've, you know, made such a big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal of of Iron Man too, right? I mean, he had to find a better way to power it because it was killing him. So, although at least on in on the boat, you know, the suit was being prepared to not be used by him. Although we didn't see that one coming until much later when he was charging on the boat, it was going to be you know by itself. Well, that that is a good point. Yeah, I guess you're you're right there. If if he but but again, the fact that it wasn't powered by the arc reactor, I, I don't know. To me, it just it just it just seemed a, a little weird. Plus, all the, the all those empty is, suits at the end, none of those are powered by the arc reactor either, because he's not in every suit. Well, but just because he, I would assume that arc the, the the arc technology is what powers everything. I mean, just like Stark Tower and everything. I mean, he just uses that arc technology as as a power source, whether it's attached to him or separate. I mean, and maybe that's just a fallacy on my part, but. 
I, I well, just I mean, assume presumably that... at least some of them have another arc reactor built in, like War Machine and Slash Iron Patriot. You know, he he could build yeah, get... separate ones that power the individual suits. Right, and I guess that's what I'm getting at is it just seems to be you know, the whole arc technology is the core behind the whole story. Like that was that was that was everything is him building this this arc reactor and this and this technology, and then it's just like well it's constantly got to be plugged in. But but again, I think maybe I, I'm probably overthinking it. <laughs> I don't know what would you say the last fifteen twenty minutes of it were pretty phenomenal. I mean, when he calls in that armor, um, and and even the stuff up to that you know before that the whole the the rescue from Air Force One and you know the fact that we find out he was uh powering the suit remotely i thought that was uh, that was a cool a cool thing especially when it slammed into the truck and completely found out he was remote controlling it i i th- i th- and then and then the big the big scene at the end when he calls in the armor um i, I just wish we could have gotten more time with each suit you know there were just so many of them and and a lot of them we just got very you know glimpses and it was dark um but i thought that was awesome that the the way they used each each suit i mean the one that that in the trailer they showed us like the hulk buster that when the whole platform was kind of falling and it and it went up under and started pushing back and they showed like that it had this reinforced spine that that was able to 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 grow up you know to to push it back up into place and the one that had those huge hands that slam down on the on the catwalk or whatever and pop those guys up which that one i don't think we saw much of before the movie they had released a lot of armor like screenshots and stuff beforehand that one i think was completely new yeah and then the one that like fell apart into different pieces and you know it it kind of came apart smacked that guy like six seven times and then came back together again i thought that was pretty badass you know just the fact that he was able to jump off the platform land on an armor you know suit up inside of it and take off again and and fight i i just thought that was it it made for for a really really well done action and i thought i think that was definitely the showpiece and the and the highlight of the movie uh that and in the beginning i think the when when the attack on tony's mansion um and and that whole bit with him flipping the armor over to pepper and you know him trying to get to to something else and then the armor coming back to him and and that whole bit i, I thought that was extremely well done and i mean it it, it just those like i said th- those two and you know the beginning piece and the end piece i thought were just awesome you know that that really just set it off for me yeah and i would just add the airplane rescue unfortunately we we had seen it um that was put out in some of the clips that they uh they had released but that was a really awesome scene too absolutely and the way he resolves that you know where he you know Jarvis is telling him you can only save so many but he ends up figuring out a way to save all of them I thought that was really great and just the whole bit with the Iron Patriot you know again another kind of twist right I mean James James Badgedale's character comes in the in as the Iron Patriot they think it's Rhodes and then he attacks the plane and I thought it was kind of cool they actually put the president in the Iron Patriot suit and then had him take off you know, so he could take the plane down. I, I, I thought that was a pretty nice, you know, that was a nice touch. Essentially um, turning it, it into a pain-free Iron Maiden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, all that stuff was, was just, just really done. And I think overall, I, I think the journey they put Tony on, I, I think, worked well. You know, it was the whole, I need to get over the fact that this this crazy thing happened in New York that the world we live in is is very different than it used to be that I can't just be a shut in I can't just go down in my garage and live there and not sleep and you know push myself away from everyone that I care about and that I need to stop using 
you know, this technology and everything is a crutch. And so I thought that was kind of cool that, you know, he, he just kind of cast it all off in the end. You know, he threw out the, you know, he, he cured Pepper, he cured himself. I mean, a little bit of it was kind of, but, but I thought, I thought in general it worked. And, and I, and I think if, if we don't see, Tony Stark as Iron Man again. I mean, if this was to be the or Robert Downey Jr. at least as Tony Stark as Iron Man again, um, I I think it, I'd be happy with with how it ended. I mean, I, I I don't see him as a as a character as a person ever maybe walking away permanently, but just the fact that you know this is kind of they kind of use this as kind of like a turning point in his life or whatever. I I, th- I think it worked, and I, and and I was okay with that. Do you want to talk about the after credit scene? Yeah, Galactus, the Watcher, the Inhumans. <laughs> wow, it was so awesome. I mean, who would have thought that the Impossible Man would have gotten the Infinity Gauntlet? And I was surprised they used the Wizard. So before we before we kind of talk about the big reveal, did any of you guys? I mean, the one thing I had heard prior to was the whole end credit scene is we find out who he's talking to during this narration. I I had a couple a couple thoughts and and this is kind of like the thought I think I had after the end of the Avengers but I thought maybe for a minute that it would have been Hank Pym that he was maybe talking to that maybe it would have been like Nathan Fillion or somebody I know I keep pushing that Nathan Fillion uh as Hank Pym uh <laughs> premise but one of these days I'm going to be right damn it um I I thought maybe it would be that or I was thinking it would be somebody that would lead us into the next phase um and it and it wasn't, and I, I definitely wasn't disappointed. I, I laughed really hard uh, when that scene came out. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't set up anything for phase two. It doesn't really advance the story that much. It was just a really funny moment um, and carryover from from stuff they'd done before. But did you guys have any theories of of what it might be or who or who the 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 person might have been? Well, I had a little bit of inside knowledge that it had nothing to do with phase two. So that narrowed it down to either uh, Samuel L. Jackson or uh, Agent Coulson for me, which, of course, I was wrong uh, on both counts. But I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be anybody leading into the, you know, the new movies that might be coming out. So those were my guesses. I was kind of glad that it was uh, Ruffalo because one of the things that bugged me during the film, didn't really bug me, but it co- sort of crossed my mind, was... It's so disjointed from the rest of the Marvel U. Like, you would think after the Avengers and after New York that maybe Tony would be in contact or have help from other Avengers. Right, and at the end of Avengers, like, him and Banner were buddy-buddy driving off together. You know, he offered him to, you know, be able to have his, uh, you know, run of R&D there and start Tower or whatever. I thought there would at least been a cameo, like... Like a video right. phone call or a Skype call or something, you know. Yeah, and I understand the logistics of, like, not being able to have these A-list actors in this movie as well. But something, some more of a connection, like you said, Jim, even, like, Pepper saying, oh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, what's-her-name called? You know, anything, not Tasha called, anything, just some sort of connection back to the rest of the universe, so at least we got it in the after credits. I've had a similar conversation a few times after seeing the movie, and I think what it kind of, what I've kind of boiled it down to in the end was, would it have been nice to have a one or two sentence explanation of, you know, Caps in deep cover in Latveria, and you know, Scarlett Johansson and, and Hawkeye or Black Widow and Hawkeye are over here or whatever. While that might have been nice for us comic book guys, 
in in the, the actual moment of it in the movie, it probably would have just highlighted the fact that they weren't there. And by, I don't want to say ignoring it, but by not bringing it up, it it kind of made that go over a little bit smoother with me in the moment, at least. Yeah, I guess I guess Samuel L. Jackson has been sort of the connecting thread for all of the movies, you know? So, like, without having to really say it, he's kind of popping up in all of them, or Coulson, or S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, a very subtle connecting thread. But, in you know, this was sort of totally standalone. So it was just a little jarring, I guess, or different. Not really a problem or a, you know, negative. And, you know, it's one of those things when we read the comics, we just assume, hey, this is a Spider-Man book. If nobody else shows up, it's because they're all fighting their own villains their own, in their own books. And I kind of try to bring that same mentality over to the movies. Did we see Cap in this movie? Did we hear about him? No, but presumably he's off fighting, you know, Batrock over in, you know, Samaria or something. I I realize Samaria's not a country anymore. But, um, you know, I I just assume they're off doing their own things. If it's not mentioned, hey, it's not mentioned. This is a Tony Stark Iron Man movie. I want to see Batrock or Samaria. That sounds like a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe Batrock's going to be in uh, Cap 2. Yes, but he won't be Samarian. No. Well, that that the less subtitles the better. The the one, I guess the one bit they made a couple allusions to, to you know, obviously he made, he kept mentioning New York. Um Favreau, you know, said he was off playing with the Super Friends, which I thought, you know, that was that was a very Favreau thing to say. And then Cheadle you know, said when they talked about the the whole Iron Patriot thing, he said, "Yeah, well, when that guy came out of the sky with a hammer, that kind of changed the game, or whatever." You know, he kind of made, you know, they definitely made mention of Thor, and and so there were, you know, they and then they talked about you know aliens invading and you know things like that. So the, the, there were these cursory mentions, but yeah, there was nothing overt, um, and and no you know direct cameo, um, in there. And and I think part of it was they really went out of their way to make the point that this was about Tony Stark, that this was pretty intimate um and personal with him. And you know, given the way he treated people in the past, I guess, you know, this is the first time really that the chickens kind of came home to roost for Tony. I mean, we, we kind of saw it a little bit in the first one, you know, where he was this selfish guy and um and Obadiah Stane was you know, I think a lot of the reason he did what he did was because of the way that Tony approached um, his legacy and and his his role in the company, um, and that kind of made him a changed man. But this is the first time where you know we kind of seen how that impacted somebody completely outside the circle, um, and how it came it came back to kind of bite him. Well, like he says in the beginning, and a couple other points during the movie, we make our own demons, and that was kind yeah. of the uh, the overall theme of the movie. Jensen showing up was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot, and the fact that he just completely blew him off. So that was, you know, they they didn't break continuity there, but I thought that was really cool. And you know, you think back to Iron Man two. What was one of the bigger complaints about that movie, um, besides the fact that there was just a lot of stuff going on? But there was a lot of stuff going on in Tony's story. Plus, there was all the extraneous Shield stuff and Black Widow, and setting up all little different corners of the Marvel universe. I think it was kind of nice, and going back to the earlier point, that by not having all that in here, it was really able just to focus on Tony. And they, you know, they don't need to set up even with the after credit scene. They don't need to set up Thor two. People know who Thor is now. If they're either going to go right. or they're not, you don't need Iron Man to launch that. Now, maybe after at the end of Thor, maybe you need something, and I think you do need something to lead to launch Guardians of the Galaxy. But the less of that that they 
have to do in Phase 2, the better. And I think it just make it all of a piece, make these movies not necessarily just stand alone, but make them, make everything that's in there impact the story in that movie as, as much as possible. We, we didn't talk about it too much, but what did you guys think of, of you know, Super Pepper? You know, her getting injected with extremists and, you know, the, the kind of her and Tony able to tag team up to take out Killian. Um, and, and just the, I, I thought it was kind of cool that he, the way that Tony not beat Killian the first time because I, I, you know, he, he slapped the armor on him and then told Jarvis to, to detonate it. I thought that was a really cool trick. And, and then Pepper showing up and, and just really kind of sucking it to him. I thought, I, 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 th- I thought that was cool just to see, you know, Pepper live in his world for a little bit. You know, she's, she's kind of been, in this movie especially, you know, she's kind of, I think, had it up to here with, you know, him in the lab. And then he kind of pulled like a Dr. Manhattan move, you know, in the beginning where, you know, he had the remote robot, you know, talking to her and and spending time with her while he was down in the lab doing something completely different. Which didn't he do a similar gag in Iron Man 2? I couldn't remember, but it seemed familiar. No. No, okay. no but definitely, it no. definitely reminded me of Watchmen. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of nice to see... Pepper get that side of him where she had this, you know, crazy, you know, almost unlimited power and then, you know, be able to to use components of the suit and to be able to really take down the bad guy um, and, well, yeah. and then have that fear, too. It's funny, you know, with all the, you know, John brought it up earlier, with all the early comparisons from the first trailer and stuff to, oh, is this going to be our Dark Knight Rises? Um, spoilers for the Dark Knight Rises for the two people who haven't seen it. But um, I, I did think it was funny that in both Dark Knight Rises and Iron Man 3, um, it's the not the main male character, the title character who takes out the bad guy in the end. It's uh, you know the the main female character. And I thought that was kind of a cool parallel. That in the end they got they got their dues against the bad guy. Like I said, I think it may have come across that have been a little more negative than positive. But I I think more stuff in this movie worked than not. It just to me, I, again, I think the criticism is it it just felt different than the others. And I I, I guess I'm when I walk into an Iron Man movie. M- from an expectation standpoint, I'm used to expecting a certain thing or seeing a certain thing or having the movie flow a certain way. And, and I think the narration, you know, was kind of part of that as well. You know, that no, there's been no narration in the other movies. And so for this one to kind of pop this narration in. Now, granted, it had a huge payoff at the end. I mean, it would, you know, like I said, I laughed. I laughed pretty hard when they revealed who it was he was talking to. And, you know, the whole banter back and forth with him and Banner. But. It, again, it just helped make it feel separate from, uh, you know, from what we've seen in the past. I think they kind of had to do that in some ways out of necessity. I mean, after Avengers set the bar so high, I think if they just come out with you know another Iron Man movie that was just the same as the other two, uh, that that would have been a misstep. I think if you look at the choices they've made too, with the you know the direct, I mean, they have Alan Taylor directing Thor: The Dark World, which is the next one we'll see. They have the guys from Community, you know, writing and directing the Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which comes after. Um, you know, they, they're really taking uh, a different tack, I think, with Phase Two, and I think that, that could really work for them. We talked earlier, I remember when we were talking about the Marvel movie universe about how eventually there's going to have to be one that's just terrible. You know, I mean, it's gonna like burst the bubble, but I certainly don't think this is it. And I think by keeping the the, the pool of of you know, directing talent and writing talent fresh, that uh, that might be a way for them to you know not have the bubble burst, as it were. So I've been mostly positive on this movie, but I actually did have one major complaint, and it's not technically it's not with the movie; it's with the marketing. Um, 
I think they showed too much. And and granted, I'm not normally the guy to complain about a trailer showing too much. And I'm not talking the scenes that they released because that's one of those things that you're only watching them if you want to know what's happening in those scenes. Whereas the trailer, it's more just the general feel of the movie. It's something that if you're going to the theater, you're going to see anyway. You know, you, I don't think most people step out when the trailers start. But in the trailers for this movie, there were a number of... Uh, and, and not not twists like we were talking about earlier, but a number of cliffhangers, if you will, that were undercut when I finally saw the film because scenes that showed the resolution of those were in the trailer. Like when Pepper falls to her quote-unquote death, there was actually absolutely no tension for me because I already knew, hey, in the trailer there's a scene of her walking out of the fire in the same outfit, uh, I think carrying Tony's helmet later on, and a couple other things like that where... The, the tension was undercut by the fact that a resolving uh, counterpart to that scene, to that tension that was supposed to be there, was already revealed in the trailer. And I, I don't even mean stuff like all the armor showing up, because that's just one of those cool things that you got to show in the trailer, you got to show some of the um, more bombastic uh, action moments. And, and really, the climax of that scene and stuff it wasn't spoiled, it's just the, the beginning to it. But when you're undercutting the mini cliffhangers throughout the movie with the the trailers that I think is a problem and again that's I understand that's marketing that's a separate department it's not the people who made the movie and they can't do anything about it really usually at least in most cases but it did bother me that that a couple at a couple points where I was supposed to feel tense supposed to feel oh I can't believe that happened there was nothing because I'd already seen the trailer yeah I agree I mean how awesome would it have been for the first time you saw them the all the armors was when you were sitting there in the movie and and maybe not knew that it was coming. I mean, they 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 really made a point of the forty two. Like they kept showing, you know, Mark forty two, the forty two on the on the arm. I mean, you. So I mean, you probably could have put it together, but to have that moment where they show up at the end, if we hadn't seen that in the trailer, and and like you said, Jordan, for marketing reasons and you know toy tie-ins and everything else. I mean, it's almost impossible for them not to have included that, but that I think people would have just walked... That would have been the moment, I think, that would have just blown everybody away walking out of that movie, you know, if, if they had not known that going in. And yet, by contrast, they were able to keep the whole Mandarin thing under wraps until the movie was released. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I didn't see that leaked out. Any, I didn't see that leak out anywhere. No, no, neither did I, which, I yeah, I definitely give him credit for that. Our long-lost our long lost compatriot, Mr. Ken Morgan... Um, wanted to be on but couldn't get get it together um send an email out with just some some random thoughts on it so i thought i'd i'd uh since he's been he's been a big part of our prior uh marvel universe you know phase one coverage between uh commentaries and reviews and stuff like that so i thought i'd just kind of go over some highlights of what he had to say about the movie both positive and negative um, he said he overall he thinks he liked it. He said a key aspect of the Phase One movies was that I love the world building and how they were all connected in the Avengers. We knew Iron Man Three would be much more standalone, but I wasn't prepared for how much I would miss that aspect. Uh, this was very much an end to Iron Man, and I wasn't pre- prepared for that. True, we knew Robert Downey Jr.'s contract was done with this movie, but I didn't expect the scorched earth nature of the resolution. We kind of touched on it a little bit. I didn't really take it as. I take it. I took it as this could be an end, but I didn't see it as being the end. I think with Tony's last little bit there, where he said, "You know, I am Iron Man." I, I think he's just kind of redefining. I think previously when he said, "I am Iron Man," it's like, "Hey, I'm the guy in the suit." Now I think when he says what he meant when I am Iron Man is I. You know, Iron Man is me. You know, that that you know I am this this you know this 
the suit is not who I am. It's it's me. Um, so I I didn't quite take it quite as as far as as maybe Ken Ken did. But if they did have to, or have to, but if they couldn't get RDJ back after this, like he just said, you know what, I had a fun ride, but I'm done. This was a good ending for him as the character, I thought. So he loved the idea of more action for Pepper, but didn't love the execution. Um, I, I, I kind of disagree with that. I think, uh, I, I think that came off pretty well, as we, as we discussed earlier. And I loved her line about, wow, that was surprisingly violent. Yeah. <laughs> he said he loved, loved, loved the bait and switch of the Mandarin. This goes beyond the movie itself because all of the marketing and weeks of press tour uh, highlighted Kingsley as the Mandarin. I, I think we're kind of mixed on on uh, on that outcome. I think it was executed perfectly. True. I just didn't. I just didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, that's, that's a good point. It's a totally opinion, you know, based. Uh, he wasn't crazy about the anxiety attack stuff. Um, he thought it was a little over the top. He thought the the Yinsen reference was top notch, and we I think we all kind of agreed with that. Having him in there was was a was a pretty cool move. Um, he said he was neutral on Killian and the AIM connection. Uh, he liked how Extremist was used and portrayed, but I'm just neutral on Killian himself. A little spoiler for the Extremist comic. Uh, he said seeing how in the comics Killian ate a bullet six pages in, they completely remade the character, so I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm kind of sorry they used AIM here. Would have been better for Cap or Shield on TV, and I, I think. I, th- I think I kind of agree with them there. Um, uh, again, it, it was a cool touch for the comic geeks, but um, and and who knows? I mean, Killian was part of AIM, but that doesn't mean AIM can't continue on without Killian. So, or be reborn in a different form. Um, he said it was nice to see Banner at the end. It was a funny scene. Uh, so closing, I said overall when I left the theater, I didn't know how I felt. I think it was the finality of that that didn't sit right with me. Yeah, they left Tony still inventing. He went back and got dummy. So who knows? But it was made pretty clear that he left Iron Man behind. Thinking back on it, uh, I did enjoy it for what it was. I just wanted something different. So I think Ken Ken's probably in the same boat or similar boat that that John is in. Yeah. Um, I I I didn't really take it as he left Iron Man behind. I think I took it as Iron Man was changing. Uh, he left the obsession behind. Yeah. 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 It bothered me. I'll just do some nitpicks. Uh, <laughs> When the extremists heated up, their clothes should have melted off. PG-13. <laughs> but you can't have... Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't do nude shots, so... <laughs> they had to leave her clothes... I mean, come on, she's glowing red and, like, the sports bra is intact. Unstable molecules. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the other one that bothered me? Oh, when the kid had, like, the melting device to burn the lock off the I'm sure there's a better name for it the armor's trying to get out of the barn or the garage and the kid throws like a spy tool at the door to burn the lock off wasn't that the thing that Tony had given for bullies no that no that was just a, a flashbang yeah. yeah okay yeah I didn't know what that was I he yeah, threw was something like, at the a door and then boom it opened up yeah, it was like out of Mission Impossible or something like, or some foam that they would use, like Navy SEALs would use to blow a door open or something. <laughs> Although, I mean, the kid had been previously set up to be like a mini Tony Stark. He's got his own workshop, and he's building that crazy potato gun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, a, cre- a, a Nerf potato gun and a stuff that melts a lock off a door is two completely different things. But anyway, and the the gift 
you know, when Tony, again, I mentioned this before, the gift that Tony gives the kid with the Verizon Fios and, like, the brand new Charger or whatever kind of car that was. And, like, I definitely rolled my eyes at that part. I, I, I actually thought that was kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I mean, it was very corny, but I just thought it was cool that he, you know, he went back and just kind of saw that this kid was like himself and yeah I mean I think overall the there was a lot to the to the pieces with the kid I think some of their interaction just didn't click as well as we've seen other kid adult interactions work in the past um yeah th- this one I don't think was one that just really clicked like we've seen in the past in, in other movies I'll say it again I don't like kids I like that kid in this movie I did like when he said to him uh I guess it was a different kid. Yeah, it was a different kid. When they come up to him in like the restaurant to get his autograph or whatever, he's like, "Hey, I loved you in uh, Home Alone" or whatever he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty funny. So, what else? Anybody else have any other closing thoughts before we give ratings? I'll pose a question: Do, do you like this? Would you like to see this trend continue in Thor and Captain America with the more standalone-oriented films? Absolutely. Now that they've already got it set up, people understand it with Avengers. Um, I mean, I, I'm still fine with it being in the after credit scenes if they want, like if they want to tie in Thor to Guardians of the Galaxy, which would make a lot of sense seeing as they're both space-based characters. Um, but in general, I want to see the main plot of the movie just be standalone. They don't need to set the other stuff up now, so why waste the time? Plus, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be in Thor just by virtue of it being in Thor that's going to play out probably in Avengers 2, what with the you know, Infinity Gauntlet and, and uh, the things that we know so far about what's going to be happening in the Thor movie. That's kind of part of what I enjoy about it, though. I like that they're interconnected. Like That's kind of like what, what made it special to begin with. you know. So I, I guess the jury's out for me if... I mean, I know the story of Thor and Captain America and all them. I don't, I don't need it to be tied into each other, but that's just kind of what makes it cool, like the Easter eggs and the, I don't know. I do, I do like the connective tissue. Right, and well, at least in Cap 2, Scarlett Johansson is going to be in it, Nick Fury is going to be in it, yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be in it. So you will get that in some of the places. I just don't know that it's necessary all the time. Yeah, I did, to kind of echo, echo what you said, Jordan, I, I, I'm fine with them being standalone, Um I think we're always going to get little hints and and nods that they're they're still connected. Um, I, I, and, and you know, like we said, I think Captain America is going to be the most obvious one that's still going to have this connective tissue to to the larger universe. And Thor, I think, is probably going to be more like Iron Man, and and that it's going to be. I think that one has a tendency to maybe even be more standalone than even Iron Man because I think they'll make mention of what happened in New York and and you know, the whole thing with Thor and Jane Foster, but I don't, I, I, I don't see it. I, I, I just, I just see, you know, bit, what, from what we know of that movie and where it takes place and how isolated it is. I, I, th- I think it's, it's probably going to be even more standalone than we, than we thought. I think the, the cosmic stuff that we see manifest in guardians of the galaxy and Avengers too, though, is definitely going to have some sort of tie to Thor too, I would guess. And, and don't forget, and don't, and don't forget the shield TV show as far as connective tissue. In the Marvel movie, yeah, they universe, can use that you know, for a lot of that now. They can uh, add a, definitely a lot of background continuity with that. I don't know that I think we'll see a lot of connective tissue in the TV show, either leading into other movies or dealing with a lot of the other movies. I think they've at least Whedon and and them have pretty pretty much to this point have said that it's pretty much going to stand on its own and 
and not really deal too directly with a lot of that other stuff. I mean, who knows? Anything anything could happen. Um, but I I think I, I think we've got to see something tie di- either directly or indirectly um, to get us to Guardians of the Galaxy. I think at, at this point, all of the you know Thor, Cap, Iron Man. You know, even even you know, Shield as an agency, as an entity, Hawkeye and Black Widow as characters. I, I think they're a, they're a known quantity at this point, and they could hold their own, or they could be integrated into other movies, or, or stand you know stand on their own and be okay. I think Guardians is a, and we talked about this before, but I think Guardians is a huge gamble, and I think if they don't have something to get the general populace tied into what it is and how it fits, I think it's going to be a tough sell in, in the broader scope of things. I think people may think that they could skip out on that one because, or they may not realize that it's a part of this this greater thing. Um, so I'm really curious as to what they're going to do to try and to try and get that that point across or to or to make that connection. But I think if you're going to have a cosmic sized threat like Thanos, you know, as you know, spoilers for the end of Avengers, you know, for all four people in Singapore who did not see it yet, uh, you know, or if you have a cosmic-sized threat for Avengers 2, enough, something that enough to get them all back together again, then you're going to have to start to set that table in Thor 2, I would think. Even if it's just an after credit scene or a reference or something like that, I think that's where it's really going to begin. And then, you know, we get the more Earthbound story of Cap and Cap Winter Soldier. That also ties, you know, back into Avengers, like you say, Russ, with uh, um, Hawkeye and Black Widow both appearing in it. And then Guardians of the Galaxy, we go cosmic again. So, um, you know, I, I just kind of, I'm, I'm thinking that Thor is going to, I mean, it definitely it's going to stand on its own as a good movie, hopefully. But I definitely think we're going to see more of the Marvel movie universe, you know, um, to come as it will, were kind of, you know, setting up in, in Thor than we did in Iron Man 3. And I'd be interested to know from, you know, Disney Marvel's side of things, how much of a mulligan they're willing to take on Guardians of the Galaxy. Because if they, you know, I, I can see a plan in my head, whether or not this is what they're thinking or not, I don't know. But I can see a plan where we release Guardians of the Galaxy, we introduce all these characters, we don't expect it to do gangbusters, you know, we market as well as we can, but we expect it to be a little bit of a loss but it sets up stuff for Avengers 2, some of the characters show up in Avengers 2, and then we make that money back um, on DVD sales and Blu-ray sales after people have, you know, because everybody's going to see Avengers 2, regardless of whether they see Guardians, then we get that money then when they go see Guardians, and then Guardians 2 is the one where we really expect to see money. Again, I I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but I could see a plan where that would be financially um, understandable. I think if they market it the right way, they could definitely find an audience for that movie. You know, I mean, there really isn't that kind of, uh, you know, high concept space opera sci-fi thing out there right now. You know, most of the sci-fi movies are, you know, post-apocalyptic or, you know, like Oblivion or After Earth or whatnot. Um, so I think if they market that correctly, that could, that could be a surprise hit for them. And I could see, I, I mean, this is my idea early on, you know, back when they announced Guardians and, and Avengers, although I think at the time they were supposed to be in the same year. But I could see them re- releasing some kind of split trailer that is half Guardians of the Galaxy, half Avengers 2, and explain to people that way that they're connected. Just by having this one long trailer for two movies that shows some of the elements that will be shared between both. Well, Guardians is the fall movie for 2014, and then Avengers 2 is 
spring, you know, or, you know kicks off the summer of 2015. So I, I think to, to get to your point, Jordan, with as far as Guardians go, and I know we're kind of going off the train here from Iron Man 3, but um, I think it it's really going to depend on Thor and Cap. Jordan, to get back to your point, I think with Guardians, it's really, I think, going to depend a lot on how Thor 2 and Cap 2 do because I think what they're seeing, and, and this is true for a lot of things, if the first movie does well, and, and both and all of those those first movies did well, um, and, and riding high on Avengers, that you could build an audience and build that box office with the sequels. So if Thor two and Cap two do, you know, six hundred million plus international, then if Guardians does, I don't know, say two to three hundred total um, U.S. domestic. And it's probably going to cost two two twenty five to make. I think that's just enough that they'd be willing. And and if critical reception is positive, I mean, not like you know Green Lantern where it you know it did okay, but the critical reception was was poor. If this if this does good box office and strong critical, then I think they're good. I think they're fine with making another one. If this one does good box office and is critically not well received, then I think that's an experiment that's unfortunately going to probably play negatively. And I think they'll be less willing to take risk in the future, which is unfortunate. Hey, as long as I'm getting one Guardians of the Galaxy movie that I like, I will be happy because I would have never have dreamed there'd be a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, period. So, if I, I will say this. If Rocket Raccoon is... If they could pull it off properly, that movie does gangbusters. Oh yeah, it 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 will it will go off the charts because I think it has the potential. You know, what what do people talk about when when they talk about the Avengers? You know, people that aren't into it like we are. It's the stuff with the Hulk that just like totally killed everybody. You know, between the punch and and the you know the ragdoll thing. I mean, that that's what that's what the masses you know really latched onto was all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and if, if, if there's a similar moment or moments with Rocket Raccoon and they could pull it off properly in Guardians, then I think that's, that's gold. Rocket will either be the thing that kills that movie or makes it amazing. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny that you bring that stuff up, Russ, because I felt that a lot of the humor in Iron Man 3, as we segue back to Iron Man 3, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I felt a lot of the attempts at humor were trying to recreate that Hulk moment. Like him calling in that last armor and then it totally just falls apart before it gets to him. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I don't know. There were, there were a couple. A couple of the moments with the kid maybe or uh, when the guy – and it was, some of them were funny. Like when the last uh, – I guess I'll call him an agent. The last bad guy says – no, don't you know? I'm out of here. I never liked these guys anyway, or whatever he says when he's about to get shot. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think they went for what you're talking about a few too many times in, in Iron Man three. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying that they're trying to recreate what made Avengers so awesome to the masses. Shall we rate it? Let's do. All right, I'll go first. I clearly remember giving Wolverine a six and a half. So. I'm going to give Iron Man 3 a seven and a half as I acknowledge that it is better than Wolverine. <laughs> although <laughs> although probably not as good to me as the other Marvel films that 
have come out. So I think seven and a half is a good spot for it with the other ones being eights and eight and a halfs and higher. Uh, that's about where it sits for me. I was probably more negative on this show than I actually feel about it. But, uh, but I think that's my number seven and a half. Well, I, yeah. um, I wrote a, actually, um, wrote a review for this on our site, hhwlod.com, our newly revamped site, not to put too fine a point on it, but Russ did a great job on, uh, resurrecting the site and keeping it bug and, and, uh, hacker free so thank you so much Russ um, uh, if you want to check out my you know, more in depth thoughts on the movie and kind of like a bullet I did a bullet bullet point type review um, I um, there I gave it a four and a half out of five so do the math I give this movie a nine um, I like the action a lot I like the performances a lot I thought the humor worked um, my only gripe was the segment with the kid I mean that, that kid found him kind of annoying but uh, other than that, I thought it worked really well and uh, fit really well, and uh, I just enjoyed it a lot, so nine. I will reiterate my initial point of I'm not a big Iron Man guy, I don't like Christmas movies, and I don't like kids. You're basically the Grinch. <laughs> yes, I am a short, fat Grinch, and I will also give this movie a nine. I, I really did enjoy it start to finish. Um, you know, marketing problems aside, I had a great time, and I, I love the kid in this movie. I, I thought they had worked in Christmas really well. Um, I, you know, like I said, the, the Mandarin thing was just fantastic for me, at least, and I just had a great time start to finish. Um, I will also give an extra plug because Jim is doing one of our other new shows coming to the network very soon is Jersey Shore, which is a show that uh, I'll be leaving with some friends of mine from New Jersey. Kind of more of a half hour wasted type show. Uh, you know, it's people actually in a room talking instead of uh, using Skype, which is awful, although it gets the job done, at least for our shows most of the time. Um, please, please spell Jersey Shore for the people. <laughs> Jersey Shore is J E R S E Y question mark S U R E exclamation point. Uh, you don't have to spell out the uh, right. the There's punctuation. No affiliation with Snooky. No, we're, or... we're actually from New Jersey, and we don't have spray tans or tans at all. So that's kind of our show right there. But that'll be coming to hhwlod.com very soon, and we will also have at least one, if not two, reviews because I already did one with my sister. And uh, we'll probably be doing another one with uh, my buddy Pierce, who's uh, my usual co-host on the show, very soon. So very good. What did you think, Russ? I'll give it an eight. Um, and again, I think based on my comments, it may have come across as I was being a little more negative uh, than than positive. But um, o- overall, I liked it. I just, I think, I just have so much reverence and fondness for Iron Man, Iron Man Two, and Avengers specifically that. To me, this one fell flatter, um, but but there were a lot of things to like. Uh, the action I thought was was pretty superb. Um, one of the things we didn't mention, and I'll I'll do briefly, is I like the fact that they went a different route with this one. It wasn't another um, bad guy in armor fight. You know, I, I I did appreciate the fact that they went um, they went a different a different way with this one. So that that was definitely another plus uh, on my side. So so I give it an eight. How, how let's let's play this game because we we like to to rank and rate and stuff like this. Where does this one fall in the pantheon of Marvel Studios universe for you guys? Whew. Um, I'll I'll start because I just told this to Brad, who also so, liked this movie. In case anybody was wondering, he says Iron Man three is great. Go see it on Facebook. So, if if you base your opinions on what Brad thinks, 
or at least set that as your bottom mark for if even he likes it, you know, that's a good that's a good one to do. And Brad and I actually like the same movie, so the world may be coming to an end very shortly. <laughs> we love you, Brad. Um, okay, so from the bottom up, Hulk at the bottom. Uh Captain America, Iron Man three, Thor. I'm working up to the ones I like more. Uh, what does that leave me? Iron Man, Avengers, Iron Man 2. So now you can see why I really didn't like this one so much. Iron Man 2 is my favorite Marvel movie. So being that this was so different was probably jarring for me. Where does Blade Trinity fit in there? <laughs> First. Punisher Warzone? And last. First and last. Wesley Snipes is last, and Jessica Biel is first. <laughs> I didn't... I, I, you know, I, I've thought about where I would rank it in terms of the Iron Man trilogy. I haven't really thought too much in terms of the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'd say... And it's still early, like I said before. I, I think it's my favorite of the Iron Man trilogy, although I do need to go back and watch the first two again because I haven't seen them in a while. Um, but preliminarily, I think it's my favorite. In terms of the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe... Avengers is definitely my favorite, and going down from there, I, I, there's not a huge deviation between the others. I all like them. I like all of them quite a bit. Yes, I should I should throw that in as well. Even the worst Hulk, and I have Captain America way down at the bottom. I like both of those movies. Right, right, right. It's just... So this would be somewhere in towards the top of all the movies that aren't Avengers. I don't know where I would rank it, you know, against Thor and and Cap and stuff, but it's towards the top of there, I think. But that could just be the uh, adrenaline of of just seeing it. I don't know. If you ask me right now, I'd say this is my favorite of the three Iron Man movies. I'd say 3, 2, 1, because I like 2 a lot better than most people, Um, except for Johnny, I guess, so we have that in common. Um, it had War Machine and Scarlet Johansson. Yeah, and Mickey Rourke talking to a bird. I mean, one more. One more do you really need? <laughs> and Sam and Rockwell. And Sam Rockwell and his <laughs> ex-wife. Anyway, or is it the mother-in-law? I can't remember what he called that rocket. Um, but anywho, um, as far as the, the Marvel movie universe is concerned, I guess I'd put it somewhere in the top half. I know Avengers and Cap are probably my two favorites. The Iron Man movies are probably, I don't know, it's, it's quite a poser. But I... I I'd probably say Avengers is my favorite, then Cap, then Iron Man 3, then uh, Iron Man 2, then Iron Man 1, Thor, then Hulk. Not that I don't like Thor and Hulk. Yeah, it's like, it's like ranking your children at this point. I, I agree. But <clears throat> for me, I, I've, obviously I think I've put probably too much thought into this, but um, Avengers for me is number one by a pretty wide margin. Uh, I, the more I watch it, the more... I, I just really have a fondness for thinking it's, if not the best superhero movie ever, then very, very high up. Um, then for me is Cap is next. Um, I just, like I said, that's it's the, it's the Captain America movie I always want to see. Me too. That's why it's my number two as well. It's just such such well-made, well, well-made movie. I thought it was just great. And that period for me just does. I mean, the, the whole World War II thing, I'm just a huge World War II era buff. Um, then Iron Man. Then Iron Man 2, a very close close to Iron Man 1 like I said for me they're they're just so they're they're just neck and neck almost as far as as far as how I feel Iron Man 2 is one of those the more I watch it the more it grows on me and the more I appreciate it for what it is um then I would say Thor then I would say Iron Man 3 and then Incredible Hulk last um 
is how I would I would rank them out. Follow question: How would everyone rank the forty-two armors? Go <laughs> eleven. <laughs> Although sixteen. I, a serious question, though: Does anybody have a favorite of the ones shown in this movie? I th- well, technically, they're all shown in the movie, even though some are just in display cases. I think I said before my favorite is the Assassin's Creed. Home Depot Mark 43, if it's a mark at all. And I'm serious about that. I thought that was a really awesome uh, use of quote-unquote armor. But what about everybody else? I'm going Hulkbuster. I thought it got a nice little extended scene. It wasn't so quick. You know, you got a good look at it crashing through stuff. And like Russ said, I think earlier, jacking up the thing that was going to collapse with the little extension of its neck. or It was kind of like a car jack sort of thing. That was pretty cool. Plus, I recognized it, the Hulkbuster armor. I like the Silver Centurion. I, I think he that was the first one he had come to that he went inside other than the 42, if I'm not mistaken. I, I just I just like the look and feel of that one. It, it just and it just reminds me of that period when I first started getting into comics. And that's that's the armor he had was that Silver Centurion armor. I'd have to go with the one with the pile drivers for arms. That nice. was pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for Hot Toys to put out uh, all 42 of of the armors, and they've uh, they've started already. <laughs> and you'll go broke buying them because they are expensive. Yeah, it'll be the yeah. seven thousand dollar box set. Yeah. Oh my god! But they're so awesome. It comes in its own house. I was gonna say, can you can you live in a, you know as a homeless person, but with all that awesome? <laughs> yeah. There's a reason I don't have any of them. It's because I know once I go down that road. There's no coming back. Well, I think that about does it, guys. Anybody else have anything else they want to they want to throw in? Should we remind the people what our next Real Heroes venture will be? Yeah, it will be Cowboys and Aliens. The wheel spoke last episode when we did Blade Trinity, and this month it is uh, the it, the next episode will be Cowboys and Aliens. So, Jim, you must be really happy with this episode for uh, not just because it's Iron Man three, but because there is no wheel to spin this episode. I do feel <laughs> relieved. And what's the next? release new release that you think will be coming up is it star trek man of starch well star trek may not fall into the real heroes category true true okay man of of steel for real heroes and then uh, the wolverine yes yes which looks more and more awesome by the moment i'm going to do a daily pacific rim cast up until it comes out (laughs) (laughs) i have never uh, gone to a movie dressed in a costume, but I'm going to go as a black ninja for Wolverine and try to sneak in without paying. (laughs) Good luck with that, sir. My mom, this is a complete aside, but my mom just got a new food processor that's a a ninja brand food processor. That thing is freaking loud. Some misnaming on their part. Yeah, fail. (laughs) Well, I guess that does, that about does it for this episode of The Real Heroes. Um, Again, you can check out all of our episodes um, at hhwlod.com, all of the podcasts on the network, and make sure you join us next uh, next time for Cowboys and Aliens. Um, if you want to leave us a voicemail, let us know what you think about Iron Man 3. You can do so at 516-468-7912 and let us know that you're leaving a message for Real Heroes. Um, so until next time, this is Russ for John, Jordan, and Jim. Thanks for joining us. Come for the Cowboys, stay for the Aliens. That might be better on that show.